and we are recording episode 1007 with Miss Mitzi Purdue on Thursday, December 1st, 2022 at 4.08 p.m. Eastern time. You just told me your new quote, do you prefer comfort or vibrancy? And I love that. It, it, this quote isn't mine, but it's one I've always loved is uh, suffer the pain of discipline or suffer the pain of regret. But you can't I've, you can't avoid it's you got to choose one. Yeah, I've, I've heard you say that over the years and I treasure it. And and I, I kind of like the Spartan approach of do one really difficult thing, one unpleasant thing each day and kind of build your character. This episode is brought to you by Seed. Probiotics are most effective when they make it to your colon alive. That's why Seed developed a patented two-in-one capsule that safeguards viability of its DSO-1 daily symbiotic through digestion to deliver the maximum dose to your colon. No refrigeration necessary. Visit Seed.com slash Spotify and use code SPOTIFY25 to get 25% off your first month. And uh, one of the things that I do every single day is I take a cold shower. And, well, I'm used to it, so it's not hard anymore. But as I'm getting in, I tell myself, do you prefer comfort or vibrancy? And I go with vibrancy. I actually really like that. Do you prefer comfort or vibrancy? Because that's, but that's what it is, right? It's, you can stay in bed or you can go to the gym. Going to the gym sucks, but when you leave the gym, you feel like you've been electrocuted in like a good way. And... Exactly. I mean, okay, th this is so boastful, presumptuous, but um, being the uh, person I am, I'll, I'll go be presumptuous, but I kind of think that if I didn't have this attitude of, of doing at least one really difficult thing a day, and I, let me amend that, somewhat difficult thing a day, uh, I think I'd look older than I do at 81. Yes, you are a very vibrant 81 year old so it, the proof is in the pudding and that's not just my feedback that is everybody's feedback especially oh. my my mom and my aunt they love you they want to be oh. you at 81 so <laughs> it is working it's absolutely working okay cold showers use uh use the staircase rather than the elevator on the, the eighth floor uh i just think all of those little things kind of add up to vibrancy they absolutely do but it's also I mean, I hope they do. Well, they have to. Well, they absolutely do. But it's also I don't know. Taking the comfortable way never it, there. There's like a there's a limited amount of enjoyment you can get out of any one thing in any given day. And the longer I'm alive, and the more I reflect on it and examine it you can't even increase the amount of enjoyment you get out of something. There's just, do you want it now or do you want it later? It's pretty, and you can't really get rid of unenjoyment. There just seems to be a balanced scale. And I always just prefer to, the first thing I do when I wake up is go to the gym because it's the part of the day I hate the most. Yep. And then I, I, I shower and I, even meditation, meditation is beautiful, but it still takes like mental exertion. It, I, it is a chore. I don't, I don't love, I love the effects of it. Just like I love the effects of a gym, but I don't like doing it, but I still do it every day that when I'm at the gym, I knock out an hour of an audiobook. It's the first thing I get rid of that. So I learn 
and then I do the podcast and then the second half of my day is just letting the podcast upload, playing video games, relaxing, putting on pajamas. And it's, I've, I really don't think there's any way to remove the pain. There's no way to remove subjective suffering and there's no way to amplify joy and pleasure and happiness. It's just, you have vegetables and you have dessert. You cannot get rid of the vegetables. You cannot expand the dessert. What are you going to do? You're going to eat the vegetables first so that you have dessert second. Well, just, okay, then I have a great seems... answer to all of that. Are you ready for enlightenment? Of course okay. you are. You're, okay. you're Tommy. Here's okay. enlightenment. Comes from Mark Twain. Mark Twain said, if your job involves eating a live frog, do it the first thing in the morning, get it over with. And if your job involves eating two live frogs, eat the biggest one first. And I love that. It, it guides my life because get the bad thing over with and then the rest of your day is pretty good. I was in this apartment for maybe 18 hours when I started setting up the studio. Because <laughs> there's setting up a studio sucks. It is just a, a thousand thumbtacks. It's putting all the, the panels up. It's getting all the wires out, straightening them, finding out where the electronics go. How many things can you overload each outlet with? How do you want the layout? You got to assemble the tables and get the Allen wrench and put everything up and get the lighting. And, you know, where do you want the flag in the center? Where am I going to put the camera and get the chair? And it's just, and then you got boxes all throughout the apartment. And it's the very first thing I was, I mean, I was sick when I moved up here and I literally woke up and was like, this is going to, and it's going to suck. And it's not even going to happen in one day. It's probably, and I was right. It took about seven days. And I was like, just start. It sucks. I'm tired. I don't, I don't even have internet. I, I need a, I, I got to get a new license. I don't know where the grocery store is, but it's just like, yeah, eat the frog. And it's just start putting the thumb, just start doing it. And it, and now you blink your eyes and it's I've been here a month and you don't even think about it anymore, but it's over. And well, that reminds me of another thing that guides my life, which is we overestimate what we can do in a day and we underestimate what we can do in a year. And so my plan is do one big thing each day. And by the end of the year, you've done a lot of stuff. I really like that quote. That's another thing I've, I've kind of realized is um, like this year, I've, I've lost the most weight and gained the most muscle that I have in one year probably than I ever have before. And it's because I stopped looking at it as like, I'm going to lose a pound today. I'm going to work out for two hours. I just do the tiniest unit of something that I know I can do every day. And I was talking to my little brother about this is the way I try to like visualize things done in a year is like, think of, you know, whenever you're a kid and you're drawing with chalk on like pavement or something. And like how long it takes to, you know, draw something big. Yeah. And then when you look at like the lines painted on a highway and you see how it's done, it's just a truck driving and it's got like a little machine thing that like drops the paintbrush and just, and you don't have to be going a hundred miles an hour. You just have to drop the paintbrush and it will paint a line much longer than you ever could. And that's kind of how I look at long-term goals is I find 
you don't want to do the absolute smallest thing. You want to find the biggest action that you know you can repeat every day. And what I do is I make my to-do list when I'm exhausted, not when the caffeine's kicking in in the morning and the sun's shining. I make my to-do list when I can barely keep my eyes open because I'm like, whatever to-do list I make now, I know I can do because it's like, it's like two things long. If you make it in the morning after a run and you're drinking a coffee, you're like, I'm going to build a building. I'm going to, you know, it's like, no, you're not. And so find the, the biggest small unit that you know you can repeat every day. My workout lasts about 18 minutes. That's it. I listen really? to it. That's it. Because I know I can do that seven days. Now, granted, there's no breaks. It's nonstop weightlifting. But that's the smallest, that's the biggest small unit I can. So when I wake up, and there's a reason to it, because it takes about 30 seconds to walk down fly, five flights of stairs and go to the gym. It takes about a minute to come back up. The reason I keep it at that is because when I leave my front door, no matter how tired I am, I look at my phone and I start my stopwatch and I go, you can be back in 20 minutes. You spend 20 minutes not even realizing it, scrolling through Facebook. So I always tell myself, it's not, we got to go work out for four hours. No, I just tell myself, and I've been doing this for my, the entire time I've been lifting weights, about, about 17 years as I keep it at about 20 minutes because I know seven days a week, 30 days a month, I can do that. And the purpose of finding that biggest small unit that you can repeat every day, there's a reason I only listen to one hour of an audiobook a day. I could do a lot more, but I only do one. That's it. Because like the truck with the paintbrush dropping the paint, a year will go by. And instead of having five big workouts where you went to the gym for an hour, you have 365 smaller workouts. But when you put all those together, they dwarf the five workouts. And you look back over a year and you're like, I can do like 80 more push-ups. I can do pull-ups. I've, I mean, this year I've, I think I've read 41 like nonfiction audiobooks. And I look back at that and I'm like, it never once feels like I've read a book about a history of like German arms manufacturing and, and, and silicon chip manufacturing and, and whatever. But when you look back over a year, you realize it is just the truck with the paintbrush. It just drops it down. And when you, and then, so on the microcosm, it's the, you get the worst thing done out of the way first, you eat the frog or you eat the bigger frog. You keep it small. I always look at my phone and I go, you can be back in this room in 20 minutes. All right, I'll go do it. And then you keep doing it and you never quite feel like you're doing a whole lot of work. But yeah. then you look back over a year and you're like, how did this all happen? How did this I've done almost 365 episodes this year. But All right, I'll give like you that. another answer because I'm good at delivering answers. This is me. Uh, it's how to eat an elephant one yeah. bite at a time. You can't open your mouth real wide and eat the whole elephant, but you can eat like a teaspoon at a time. Or to quote the great Dale Comstock, the youngest ever member of Delta Force. Mm -hmm. How do you eat multiple elephants at a time? What you did he say to that? You take multiple bites at a time. <laughs> All right, Dale. Well, that's you. I can't do that, but that's Dale. But yeah, no, it's just the tiniest little 
it's and but there, there is an there's there is kind of like an importance here is like don't just go do the tiniest thing because if you go do one push-up and you go listen to 30 seconds of an audiobook that's actually not really going to accumulate it's it's good if you've never done anything before there is an importance of sorting of sorting of sort of moving your mental overton window into acceptance of this is what we do now we're doing one push up a day that's that's important for beginners but the value is finding the most you can do it's the biggest small unit you, you want to push it my workouts aren't easy i push myself to the limit but it's just enough that i know i can do it 7 days a week i know i can do it nonstop yeah, to me, and, it's the, the the largest unit and the smallest unit that you will do. Yes, don't, and and you have to base it on what you've done before. You can't go. Well, I know I'll do this. No, you you have to you have to like troubleshoot. You have to do like in the field research and be like, okay, I know I can do eighteen minutes. Maybe for you it's nine minutes. Maybe for you it's thirty minutes. Go find the thing. And through repetition, you'll realize, you're like, I think that's about where I tap out. I can do 18 minutes. I know I can meditate every day for about 25 minutes. Find that upper limit and then just copy and paste, copy and paste every single day, every single day, every week, every month. And by the end of the year, you'll look back and what you have achieved will be better than even your most delusional, grandiose goals. Which gets right back to we overestimate what we can do in a day and we underestimate what we can do in a year. Yes, exactly. And I'm up against something a little like that, which is uh, learning Ukrainian. Uh, at 81, trying to learn a new language, how about that's work? It doesn't come natural. I, I, I bet it's like for you doubling your number of push-ups. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so how do I go about that? And first of all, let's get into why I want to learn Ukrainian. Uh, I was in Ukraine for five days at the end of August. I got invited back. I'm going to be there roughly mid-December uh, mid towards the end of December. And I'm so excited to be invited back. But I thought as long as I'm being honored by being invited back, and the 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 group that's inviting me back is the Kiev region police. And oh boy, the stories I'm gonna be doing. They have lined up for me things like, well, like there's at least a quarter of a million Ukrainian children that have been abducted, taken away from their from their parents and taken to Ukraine. Are you familiar with that? I think you told me about that. It's it's not a widely known story, but they've got they've got just really good records of of each one. And the Russians are doing something so particularly horrible. Uh Shasliva, that that's a word for horrible that I just learned. Uh, they they take the kids and they they take them from school and under the guise of this kid is under so much stress. The child needs to go to camp just to be away from all the stress that of the war. And they take them to a remote part of Russia and Russia's 11 time zones. And then when the parents try to get them back, they say, oh, we don't have enough money to send them back. You have to come get them. And then the parents 
are stranded in Russia. They, they spend the money to go to some far east place, you know, like seven time zones away. And then the, the Russians won't let them leave. And you might wonder, why would the Russians be doing this? And the answer is Russia is facing a population crash. They they have their death rate is increased and their birth rate is collapsing, with the result that uh, that they're losing a population of like millions and millions, and so they simply want to kidnap Ukrainians. And first you get the kids, and then you get the parents. And and in the process, you depopulate Ukraine, which is another of their goals. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I get to write about things like that, uh, and so. Although there are a lot of people in that I'll be interacting with who speak English, I thought that it would be show a lot of respect to them if I can say a lot of nice things in Ukrainian back to them. So that that's my plan. And how about it's really hard to buckle down to try to memorize vocabulary and phrases and grammar. The only way I can do it is <sighs> promise myself you can do this for 10 minutes. You can muster the focus and the concentration for 10 minutes and do that at least once a day. And then if you can do it several times, that's great. But along the way, I, I think, you know, words that just seemed impossible to me 10 days ago, now I, they just roll off the tongue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's... Um, <clears throat> so there's kind of a value in that is like the baby steps, the little increments repeating um we underestimate what we can do in a year. There's also like an there's there's another aspect to it. And it's you have to want to do the thing. Like I can explain about how to achieve long term goals, but if somebody told me, All right, Tommy, I want to see you learn how to play to play violin, well how you would do it is you would do these the the smallest, big repeatable goals that you can do and you build it up over blah 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 but I have no desire to play. I don't care. And it's, I truly believe if I wanted to, I could learn and I could be incredible. I have no desire to, like, I, I want to do the podcast. I wanted to get into medical school. Now there, I don't care about medical school. It means nothing to me. I absolutely could not do that studying. Just like that person could not do the podcast, not because college Tommy wasn't capable because college Tommy had no interest in it. So like right now, I want to build the podcast. I want to get bigger and better guests. I want to keep doing it. I, I want to keep improving it. And so I can. So there's kind of a value there. Like you want to learn how to speak their language. It's not, it's not like I'm asking you to learn cuneiform or something or, you know, but there's no, there's no desire. If, if I told you, I want you to learn how to decipher the hieroglyphics and the pyramids sure you do it 10 minutes a day but you but if you don't want to you won't so that's kind of the other thing is there has to be the fire has to be there to want to do the thing okay and for me the fire uh yeah i'm feeling really honored that i got invited back and the fire is i'm aware that for an american to be learning some ukrainian that it shows a lot of respect and I, I want to communicate the respect I have. So my motivation is really pretty high to do it. Mm -hmm. But good Lord, the stories that, that are there to be told. Have you heard about filtration camps? No. 
very few people have. And this is another reason that I want to go back to Ukraine and share these stories. And I'm, I'm puzzled. I mean, I'll, I'll take all the advice I can about how to handle the following stories. But here's something that the, the Russians do in every town that they conquer or that they invade. They have what's called a filtration camp. In a filtration camp, it's it's usually a cellar somewhere, and it's in effect a torture chamber. And what they do is they will take people that they take that they expect to be the leaders of resistance of that town. They'll take them into this torture chamber, and they'll ask them to tell who else, you know, give me names, who else would be a source of resistance, and. Yeah, one story that I heard, and this was this was in August, and I actually saw photographs of, of the place and the people. They line up, say you've got, is this going to be too tough for our listeners? No. Okay, they, they line up like 10 people who, I, the mayor or just leaders, they put them in this cellar. And the one that I saw, it was in Irpin, uh, the first... Yeah, the first person that they ask to give names, he resists. They shoot him in the kneecaps, which I haven't experienced this, but I'm told it's unbelievably painful to have bullets sprayed at your kneecaps. Uh, and at that point, you know, his his ability to resist giving names is pretty small, but he still does it. So they put a bullet to his head. Then they go to the next guy, same thing, and somewhere by the third or fourth person, you know, you're, you're, you're just so, the, the trauma of the thing is so much that you're probably talking as fast as you can. And pretty soon they've got names of more people. They bring them in and ask for still more people. And I think in the town of Bucha, I think I'm right on this. I'm gonna be directionally right, even if I'm not absolutely right. I think they recovered 400 bodies of people who were who were dis who were killed in order to prevent the town of Bucha being able to resist. And they do that in every town. And and by the way, what, what I saw in Bucha or Irpin, I was in both cities, uh, I think they've gotten worse since because right now the torture chambers, they have some kind of electrical torture, which I guess is even worse than shooting people. Can you explain uh, that? Well, I haven't seen it and it hasn't, it's been sort of alluded to, but I'm going to know an awful lot more by the end of this month, I hope. But uh, I kind of think that they put electrical uh, currents in places that a man would particularly not like to have the electrical current. And they can modulate it up and down. I've I've seen pictures, but I haven't seen where they apply these awful things to. But but it, it has been hinted that uh, they're not doing it to your little finger. Hmm. Uh, but I, I'll be able to talk a lot more knowledgeably about exactly what they do because I want to tell this story. Because you know, there are people I, I hear people in America who say, why don't we just have peace? But the trouble is. If you have peace with the Russians, who first of all don't keep their word, they make all these promises and then don't follow through. But the other thing is the places that they conquer, uh, it, it's not it's not 
the way we would act if we conquered a place. They, I mean, they just are simply having the populace in terror and killing the leaders. Yeah, it's definitely easy to say living over here. Be like, why don't you just make peace? I mean, what if, what if China took Florida? Like, would any part of you be like, eh, no, no, the America in you, the nationalism in any person would be like, the hell with you, no. So it is, I mean, I have to admit my own, my own naivety and insulation from it because I'm sitting in an apartment doing a podcast. There is something like deep in your DNA that doesn't allow you to just roll over. Yeah, it's a territorial imperative, but even more important than that, I'm thinking of, of a person I talked with in, uh, it was it was over the uh, over the internet because I think almost a day doesn't go by when I'm not talking with a couple of people in Ukraine, friends that I made while I was there. Uh, this woman said, uh, I'm not afraid of bombs. I'm not afraid of rockets. I'm not even afraid of death. What scares me really is that the Americans will stop supporting us. Because I do think there are things worse than death. And how about that's like constant terror and having your kids taken away from you. I mean, there are things worse. That, there, there are things that I would die for. I'd die in a heartbeat to keep my kids or my grandkids. And, you know, the Russians, I mean, right now, the figure I have of a quarter of a million kids, I think that's going to, I'm going to give a different figure when I come back because it's, it's clearly grown since August. And by the way, uh, General Nebitov, you know, I asked him, is that a real figure? And he said, yeah, we have complete accurate records. I, I, let me amend that, not complete. We have accurate records of who was to taken. I don't think they would say complete. I when mean, you... just part of this thing, and uh, I want to write about it. What do you think your ability to speak the language will will re will reveal? Because you're you're always going to, it's you know, it's like... um. Like they say, if you want to learn a language or learn something about a culture, like you can take all the courses you want, but you got to go like and be inserted into the actual country to learn everything about it. What do you think you'll be able to, uh, I, I say this as someone who's never uh, successfully learned another language. Um, I think that's the only class I ever got to see in was trying to learn German, but what do you think you'll be able to, you'll be able to get out of your next trip by learning the language? Okay, guaranteed, I won't be able to speak it, but I will be able to say, uh, I'm going to guess 80 or so really polite phrases like, uh, I'm so happy to be here. Oh, that food was delicious. Oh, um, I really appreciate Ukrainian people. I've already memorized those. I know how to say that. Uh, and so I think, you know, any substantive conversation that I'm going to write about, uh, it's going to be in English. But but to show respect for people, my the thing is, I've actually done this with other languages. When I was traveling with Frank Perdue when he was still alive and would visit other countries, I would spend eight weeks before every trip uh, learning polite phrases in whether it's Shanghainese or Mandarin or you know whatever language of whatever country that we were going to. And when you put all the when you put thirty or forty polite phrases together you can give one heck of a, of a toast. And I actually, 
I learned a bunch of polite phrases when I was there in August. And at the end of my stay there, uh, the, the general who's in charge of Kiev police, uh, he gave a dinner for me. And there were, there, there could have been 20 policemen there. And then a certain, maybe, maybe five or 10 Americans. And he gave this wonderful toast saying how much he appreciated that an American was taking an interest in law enforcement. And you know, it's really good feeling. And then it's my turn to respond. And I had memorized uh, a bunch of really patriotic things to say in Ukrainian, such as, I think a lot of Americans know Slava Ukraine, but that's actually, that's you know, glory to Ukraine. But there's a whole lot of things that you can say after that, like glory to the, to the soldiers, uh, glory to the country. Uh, death to the uh to the enemies i mean and, and when you put them all together it makes one heck of a toast including one of what one of the ones that i was most fond of was uh which is uh, do i dare say this yes i do uh putin dickhead putin dickhead <laughs> and, you know, first of all, I, I think there's a certain shock value that 81-year-old sweet lady like little old Mitzi dares to say that. Uh, the other one is Ruski Karabel Vaini which means uh, Russian. Do, do you remember at the beginning of the war, there was a Russian warship that asked Snake Island to uh, to give in? And the Ukrainian answered in Russian, Russian warship, uh, go fuck yourself. I knew you were going to say it. I was, well, no, I, I knew what you're talking about. I wasn't sure if you were going to say it. I wasn't sure. If... Well, yes, I am. Uh, I mean, because we're all friends here and we're all adults. I think, I mean, I'm kind of hoping my grandchildren aren't watching, but uh, yeah. That's on you. That's not on me. If uh... <laughs> Okay. Gra grandma uh, does know how to say those words, but you shouldn't. But in any case, uh, I, I particularly love the shock value because you know, I'm giving this this toast and I'm putting together all these polite phrases and somewhat patriotic ones. Uh, and it was so funny because the, the, the Americans really didn't know what I was saying, uh, but the Russians were just laughing their heads off, partly because I knew it and partly because I think the shock value that an 81 year old little old lady will say it. Do you think that... <clears throat> I remember seeing some study and I have no idea if it's real and I, I don't think I could even cite it. So it might as well be bullshit, but it's my podcast. So whatever. But it was like an overlapping timeline of the strength of the Soviet Union falling, uh, climaxing in its collapse. And uh, as well as the development and prevalence of fax machines in Eastern Europe. And it was showing that, uh, that the permea the permeability of the Iron Curtain and the flow of information was directly like you could mirror it with the uh, collapse of the Soviet Union of uh, any society where that where there's top down control, right? That wouldn't work in an open society because it's an open society, but something where the power is predicated upon a certain dictatorial, I guess, like maneuvering, and you know either whether it's tanks or whether it's you know, concentration camps or whether it's, you know, uh, digital control. 
I've been thinking more and more about like, I mean, obviously there are wars and something like that, like a fax machine wouldn't end World War II, but where it's something on a much longer scale, like a Soviet Union or, a, a, you know, China rising. Do you think that that's something we might see through something like, like Starlink, like the space-based internet? Whereas I don't know if that would have an effect on the war. I feel like a war is maybe quicker, but over decades, and this would maybe shift to more like something like China or even North Korea. Is there, or is this just my own, you know, doe-eyed naivety? But is there something to be said for the permeability of information, for the, dare I say, democratization of the world? Is there something where, like, there was some quote from a Russian or Soviet general in the Cold War that said, uh, if the Americans really wanted to beat us, uh, they wouldn't drop bombs and spies. They would drop uh, uh, blue jeans and CDs of rock and roll because the people would see that and go, what is that? I want that. And whereas I'm not, I'm not dumb and ignorant of the fact, I mean, I'm, I'm friends with Dale. I see through his eyes very much so like, no, it does come down to bullets and bombs and blood and who's willing to go farther. I get that. I get that. I don't get that. But on terms of like the much larger glacial pace of the rising and falling of, I mean, look at the impenetrability of the Soviet Union and it, it's now a relic. Like it, that does end, you know, the unstoppable Nazi army is now something that you can only find in a museum. Like it does fall. And I know this is kind of a 180 from what we were talking about, but do you, do you find any, is there any evidence of that? Is that just a really uh, complex sales pitch for Starlink and I should be getting money from them? Like, is this, can the ebbs and flows of tyrannical dictatorships be eroded by different vessels of, of, I guess, liberal Western ideals? Well, let's take what's going on in China right now, which which fascinates me because for years I used to visit China every year. And didn't that guy die yesterday or the day before? Some head Chinese official? Uh, yeah, who's... Uh... I can't think of his name right now, but he was 96 years old and he was, uh, but, but on the subject of eroding of, of, of power through communications, what I've heard, and who knows, you know, by the time this airs, who knows what will have happened to China. Um, I'm not terribly optimistic because I think their ability to shut things down is very large, but nevertheless, we don't know. But here's what an, an analysis that, that I've heard from a person I respect China, as you know, in 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 the very recent past, has been having a tremendous amount of turmoil, almost unheard of since Tiananmen Square. Mm -hmm. With with Tiananmen Square, I've heard estimates that, that they simply shot like ten thousand people to stop it. Oh, yeah, and and they might go do that again. But what sparked it, and what sparked it? You know, we all hear that it's because of COVID. Uh, and the uh, the economy stalling uh, and the job possibilities just eroding right and left as as Western companies pull out. 
But what I've heard is one, one of the biggest sort of impetus of it was the World Soccer Cup. Now, how could that be? Do you want to give a guess? It's cool. It's incredibly cool. Related to Chinese turmoil. Exactly. The World Soccer Cup, which is in Qatar, if I'm correct. Qatar, whatever the pronunciation is. Uh, let, let me tell you, because I think well, you're unlikely to guess. No, I want to unless, know, unless you can guess. I, I want to guess. So I'm thinking Chinese turmoil, right? Zero COVID policy, the real estate implosion, the population drop. And it, people furious, just furious. Related to the World Cup. Related to the World Cup. And and I hope our listeners are guessing too, because it's such a goodie. And I, you know, I can't know that my source is correct, but it sure makes sense. I'll give you a hint. It's been almost a thousand days that people have been under lockdown. I would say that, that a population almost the size of the United States is locked down. In China? In China. Well, the, the, the population. The figure I've heard recently is 300,000. No, whoops. Would that it were that? No, 300 million. So that would, only, that would only be a section of China, right? Because China's at like 1.7 billion. 1.4 billion, I think. 1.4. Okay, so it's 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 not the whole country, but but it's approaching the size. So like, yeah, like the urban centers, States. the urbans. Okay, I would, if you're saying World Cup, well, lockdown. Soccer. Soccer. Okay, all right. Well, lockdown, that kind of narrowed it in for me. Before you said lockdown, my best guess was going to be that I know in Qatar, there have been a lot of people who, uh, you know, they're not wearing the LGBTQ rainbow flags and they're saying they're giving pragmatic responses. They're saying, you know, it's their country and these are their rules, just like we can't drink alcohol there. It's that, you know, and then also the underlying is it's not that you're respecting. It's that they'll behead you in the town square because they're psychopaths. Well, there's that. I that, that little that little thing will get you. But I was going to say along those lines. China is hating how the rest of the world is obeying or playing into other people's culture, but they refuse to go along with China's culture of property theft and human rights. But once you said lockdown, that changes my answer to, you know, if you want to run a country, you got to have bread and circus and they're just not letting with the great firewall, they're not letting them have the circus. I think that's a good guess, but are, are, are you ready to give up? By the way, you got- I'm, I'm wrong. But you weren't there. <laughs> All right, I give up. What is it? Okay. Oh, according to my source, it's just, just something that like ignited a fire is that if you're if you live in China, what you hear right and left is that China's handling this better than the rest of the world, that the rest of the world, people are just dying like flies, a horrible, miserable death, and that- COVID is so terrible that, that all these lockdowns are justified. Then all of China, I'm exaggerating, uh, many people in China are watching the World Cup and they, oh. see, they see people who aren't masked. They well, see what the hell is that? Oh. And so they're, they're getting a completely different view from outside, which they don't normally get, showing and. And for proof that this is uh, something that was upsetting to the government, uh, when when people started just uh, in social media and just letting their rage be known, hey, if the rest of the world doesn't isn't locked down, why are we locked down? Uh, 
that they began blurring the faces of the audience so that holy you could shit that does that make sense to you are no you it, to... it it does no i wasn't looking at it completely i, I was thinking great we are looking in at China and we know that they're censored and they can't see the rest of the world. I for, I'm not putting my mind in their mind. They can't see out unless of course there's an exception, the, the soccer cup and you're going, Hey, how come they're not all being sprayed with disinfectant and wearing hazmat? And, and locked up, you know, and gotcha. I mean, can, can you imagine just, uh, and then a, especially a strict Middle Eastern country. Yeah. Or, yeah. But, but can you imagine being confined uh, or or it's been a thousand days when since you've either been confined or you've been threatened that you don't know tomorrow I might be confined. Yeah, uh, that's got to be yeah psychologically incredibly difficult. So you're on edge anyway, and then you see that the rest of the world doesn't mask. It's it's got to be enraging. Blurring the faces of the crowd. That is. That is a dystopian measure I didn't foresee. Blurring the faces of a crowd. That's like a whole... That's a whole nother level of... You can see the desperation to remain in power, right? It's when they... It's like when the CIA was, you know... It's like when they're doing something that you know is like a lawful special operation and they, you know, they redact the name and the date and the location... Versus when you see something like released from like Fauci and it's just the entire page is blacked out. And it's like, what are you even, that is an implicate blurring the faces of the, so that's, it's not that you're blurring the faces of like the athletes or something because they're crit critical of China blurring the faces of the crowd because of their, the nature of their exist. That's another level of Wow. Well, according to my source, it was just a window for them that that what they've been told wow. is false. And you know, you can just see it in front of your eyes. The that, rest of the world isn't falling apart from a terrible disease that's gonna kill you. I mean, that's sorry, I was stretching my back. That's that's Plato's allegory of the cave. That is like personified. That yeah. is hmm. Yeah, I, to to my mind, China is in a real rock and a hard place situation because I've mentioned that I used to visit there every year. There was a family that I visited and I'd stay there for, for two weeks, once a year, but that was over a period of at least 10 years. And you know, I got to know people. I got to know families. I, I even had a minor social life in China uh, and the patriarch. Oh, I usually turn this off. Excuse me. Let's see who's calling. Very good. Is it Xi Jinping? Can you monologue while I go shut this up? I can monologue. Yeah, no, that's a level. That's another level of uh, of evil. But it's kind of interesting. Is tomorrow there's wow. going to be a the the revealing of the new stealth bomber, um, the successor to the B two Spirit, a stealth bomber, the one that looks like an alien black wing. It was revealed in like 1989 the successor to it the b21 raider is being unveiled tomorrow and of course the jokes are always it's being unveiled which means it's been in operation for a decade but the b21 you said to you said to monologue so i know this is a 180 but uh the new stealth bombers being have been following this for for years i actually called northrop grumman in the summer of 2020 doing this podcast 
And I was like, hey, will somebody come on and talk about the B-21 Raider? And they tore me a new one and said, never call this number again. So, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, that is, that isn't, it does seem more and more. So I've been thinking more and more about, about COVID. And like early on, it was, so, you know, my first response was, because the first episode of this podcast is almost three years ago, December 12th, 2019. And I think the first episode is about the Hong Kong protests. And I thought like how then you have the yellow vest protests in France preceding that. And I think the first reflexive response by a lot of us was like, oh, how convenient a virus is now ending the protests. And then as it took over the world, I looked at it more and more, you know, then your first knee jerk response is, well, it's a virus that originated in Wuhan, China by the Wuhan virology lab. It seems pretty, you know, put the puzzle pieces together. But I also remember, and I can actually proudly say very early on, like March, 2020, I began thinking like, it, it's almost too obvious. It's almost like a, it's almost like a, like a Keystone cop kind of, if it arose right there, that's almost too obvious, which started to make me think that we did it and we released it by them. So looking at China now and the turmoil they're going through and the weird, I mean, we've pretty much exited the mass formation psychosis of COVID here. Like we are, we're, we're, we're out of it. There are some people that are still stuck in it, but it's pretty much, it's gone now. China is seemingly tearing itself apart over zero COVID. I mean, they're constructing, like, to this day, they're constructing massive new quarantine camps. They have, and imagine how that must make the population hate the government. Even more, though. I mean, they've always hated it. And, and the more they repress it, the more hatred there's going to be. But this doesn't seem like the actions of a government that released COVID. Because now they are seemingly damaging their... So when there are problems at like the Foxconn manufacturing plants and there's like there's shortages, it's zero COVID. And and then there's also the argument is China using zero COVID as a cover to disrupt our supply chain. I'm sure there's an aspect of that, an aspect of warfare. But these don't seem like the actions of a country that released it. Because we've moved on. They're tearing themselves apart. The only thing China has is numbers, a complete disregard for human life and liberty, and the ability to just throw human labor at cheap manufacturing. That's just what they are. They're robbing themselves of that. This doesn't seem like the actions of, of a country that released COVID. Except kind of to me it does. I don't think they, if I, if I had to bet, I would guess just playing a lab league. Uh, and then I, I suspect that they did a lot to spread it uh, outside of China. And I, I suspect- I would agree that with they, that. Okay, and I had a discussion with the former deputy editor of the Wall Street Journal of, you know, to me it seemed improbable that they would have zero COVID in China when it was raging throughout the rest of the world. And he said, no, it's possible. They, you know, if you're drastic enough, but it probably won't last. Uh, and so it seems to me that that it was an accidental release. They did everything they could to spread it and make us uh, everyone not else get it. The, the 
uh, personal protection and so on. Uh, but now I think that, that the I, I suspect the reason for the lockdowns is it's almost a virgin population as far as immunity. I mean, anybody but a hermit in the West has been exposed to it. You've either had a vax or you've just plain been exposed to it and have your own immunities. But what about China right now where their, yeah, their medical system sucks? They really don't have the ability to, to hospitalize vast numbers of people, but it will happen when you have a population that has no exposure to this. And they may, I mean, I've heard estimates that they may, they, I, by the way, I don't know that these are right, but I, I do know that there are people who are saying this, that it could be 5 million deaths a month. And, you know, what, what government can survive that? Well, if anyone could, it would be China. I think their actions to facilitate the spread of it was probably a good tactical maneuver on their end. Let's say we released it. Let's say it really did come from a bat and a pangolin. It's not ethical, but I mean, tactically, I get it. Bring every, If I'm going to be weighed down, weigh down everybody, right? right. Their, their whole thing is putting I, cancer. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's under dispute that, that they did everything they could to spread. Well, no, no, not at all. Not at all. I, I'm saying the... Was it, did we release it? Did it they release sense. it? Was it intentional? Was it accidental? Did it really come from nature? Wherever. The fact that it was there and it was there first, I get it. It's unethical, but I, I totally, I, I understand. From what little I understand about China, it does make sense. If they're a country playing catch up, hey, you want to bring the rest of the world down. Okay, I got it. I could also see maybe it's my own, maybe I'm not looking deep enough into it. Is it really a psychosis about zero COVID? Or is it a real estate bubble, a housing bubble, a population bubble, and they're just using this as a as an excuse to lock everyone down because it's becoming clearer and clearer that uh, the select few that are in the inner party are, I mean, a million to one to the people they rule over. So you could argue that they don't believe zero COVID at all. This is just an, this is just to end or preemptively, uh, right? Because there were those tanks in front of banks back this summer. Remember, yeah. people trying to get their withdrawal, and they didn't even. There was no, there was no mask. They just dropped the mask and rolled out the yeah. tanks. Yeah. So it might not be a country tearing itself apart over COVID. It's just that this is more uh, socially palatable than just saying we're putting you all in camps i don't know it'll be so interesting to find out by the way i've got a real super hard stop because i, I oh I, yeah I, sorry oh, no but I, I, I would happily be with you for hours but i do have a hard stop and i'm awful close to it absolutely i completely lost track of time well miss mitzi purdue we will wrap this one up. I will put all of your books and writings in the description. I will send you the episode when it is up. And as always, I love you. So thank you. And for I adore on. you. All right. Till next time. Bye-bye. Yes, ma'am. Miss Mitzi Purdue. God bless everybody. Stay safe.